0: Hey there, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 18 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Chuck DeGroat and have a discussion and a conversation about his book, When Narcissism Comes to Church. And uh, what a catchy title. And um, we discuss how the emotional impact and spiritual impact of sitting under a narcissistic leader the impact that the tendencies that many of us have. He, he shares from his years of experience that narcissistic tendencies are common in church planners, common in missionaries. And that's where this podcast is uh, has one of our focus audiences is missionaries. And so um, I just thought it was a great conversation to sit down with him. You'll hear in the background crickets, you'll hear in the background noise. As we've moved to Nairobi, um, I'm still working on the sound and uh, we're trying uh, to get it uh, back up to the quality that it was, but just to the, the place where I'm recording, um, you hear, you hear the crickets, you hear the noises, you hear the. The banging in the background, but appreciate Chuck and uh, his willingness to come on the podcast and to um, help us all. His book, it, it goes the Enneagram, is popular now. He talks about the tendencies of each of those nine um, areas in the uh, Enneagram and what our tendencies could be if we fall on those. And so, do just really appreciate it. I know you'll value this pie, that interview with with Chuck. Do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, was is Wes and Peggy Reed collaborators in life and mission. Well. There's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with Chuck DeGroat. Um, I had the the pleasure of reading his book, which was challenging and healing to me to read. And so Chuck, it's so exciting to have you on the Clarity Podcast with us today.
1: Thank you, Aaron. And Chuck, for
0: those who, you know, I read your book, When Narcissism Comes to Church, Healing Your Community from Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. Um, could you just share a little bit about yourself and maybe what led you to write a book um, with that mouthful of a title?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, thanks for having me. First of all, it's, it's good to have this conversation, to hear crickets in the background. I, I, I think maybe you'll edit those out, but I was kind of excited about crickets and monkeys and other guests on the podcast too, but um, I'm I'm a uh, I was a longtime pastor, therapist, uh, now seminary professor. Uh, I went to seminary back in the mid 1990s, and I entered into seminary with a lot of uh, certainty about things I believed, and <clears throat> I think a good amount of arrogance and um, confidence overconfidence, and and. In a beautiful way, got called on that by a seminary prof uh, early on, and that began my own journey. I, I ended up doing a master of arts program in counseling and getting my own care and counseling, and going on a journey that I think, if I wouldn't have gone on, I, you know, my even the counseling professor said I would have been dangerous to the church, <laughs> and so I, I think that I've I've been passionate about this journey to becoming more whole for for pastors, for missionaries, spiritual directors, educators, those of us who are in ministry for, for a long, long time. But it was only in the last probably five years or so that, uh, friends of mine actually said, you know, you've, you've been, you've seen a lot, you've been involved in church planning assessments and, uh, uh, I've done a lot of counseling in and around spiritual and emotional abuse and narcissism in the church. And I've been doing some consulting with a larger church. And it was some friends in that space who said, you know, it'd be great for you to write something that would be accessible, a good resource for the church that we we could use. And that really inspired it. Uh, and that's how the book came to fruition. It's amazing.
0: Um, before we jump into some of the questions, um, you one of the, the opening things is the word narcissism um gets thrown around. if would you just help maybe give us a clarification of what that is? And then you also share that you know it's dangerous just to throw that label around. And that's not really the purpose of the book, is to, yeah. to begin to label people. But can you can you just share about what a narciss- narcissism is and why it's yeah. dangerous just to label people?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> we use these. These labels for disorders, mood disorders, personality disorders, psychosis in the in the psychological world to name particular realities, depression, bipolar, um, dependent personality, narcissistic personality. And, yeah, I do say early on that this this is not the ontological identity of of someone. You know, this is um, we are image bearers of God. Um, We are as Christians, the beloved of God. Um, that's core to who we are but but there are helpful descriptors at times addiction even even the language of sin is not a descriptor of our deepest self, but um uh, a virus, a disease is what paul calls sin and so you know narcissistic personality disorder, the full blown disorder, not narcissistic tendencies, is often described as uh grandiosity um entitlement, attention seeking. Um, and and a lack of empathy, uh, which lead to oftentimes relational and vocational impairments. Um, In other words, problems in relationships, problem keeping a job, uh, leadership, things like that. So when we talk about grandiosity, we talk about a sense of superiority. Um, I'm, I'm bigger, better, stronger than you are. Um, when we talk about entitlement there 's a sense of i have a right I have a right to this unlimited expense account as a pastor i have a right to the biggest office uh, when we talk about attention seeking well it sort of speaks for itself this sense that i I need to be on stage, I need the applause um, and then lack of empathy is oftentimes a tougher one for folks because they 'll say but but he seems to to really care about what 's going on with me um, and yet it 's a kind of false empathy or false vulnerability, as I talk about at times, where um, ultimately for someone who's narcissistic personality disorder, um, all all of the energy is centered on him. And so it's really impossible for him to get into the shoes, uh, her to get into the, the shoes of someone else and understand what they're experiencing or going through. So there's a lack of empathy there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's just appreciate the definition and uh, the, the, yeah, just to help us to understand it more. One yeah. of the things as I read through your book that really jumped out to me was you said <laughs> it's common. Um, some of these tendencies um, are common in church planners. And then that made me think that, you know, the main focus of this podcast people living overseas, global workers, and missionaries. Is that something in your experience that you've seen also in, in missionaries too that is, yeah. is common?
1: Yeah, yeah. i much more of my experiences in and around church planting, but I've been a part of a fair number of assessment processes where folks are going out into the mission field, or um, and of course I've been a part of um, the missional church movement for 20 years, and where we talk about engaging in mission, and oftentimes that comes with a sense of, you know, I can I can do it, or this city really needs me, really needs the gospel, but what we're saying is really needs me, you know. Uh, I'm uniquely poised to do it. Oftentimes, there are grandiose notions of of getting the gospel out there. And and some of this is, I mean, we could have a much longer conversation about how this is connected to the history of the church, um, even to colonialism. I, I mean, there are bigger, larger conversations about how the church at times has this sense of manifest destiny. But we as pastors can have that too, where there's this sense of uh, you know, I was talking to a church planner, actually, to get real concrete, who said, you know, when I went into, I won't say the city, but when I went into this particular city, I thought that I was the answer to the to the problem of sin and the need for the gospel. And it took me 10 years to realize that I wasn't the first uh, church planner or pastor in that city. There were historically black churches who'd been there for generations there are other smaller churches and Korean churches and um uh and any and he said you know I just had this sense that uh I had heard that this was a secular city in need of the gospel and I just had this sense that I was the answer and I was the savior and it was in a moment of some pretty profound repentance and I I don't know that any of us are immune to that whether missionary or church planter I, I, we see this even in rural church pastors uh, and So, uh, yeah, we all have the opportunity to look at ourselves in a conversation like this. For
0: sure. I remember, you know, when we arrived in Burkina Faso, I was sick for about the first 16 months. And that idea that I had to come to the point and realize that God didn't need me. He wanted me to serve and he gifted me to serve. But the kingdom was not dependent on Aaron. The kingdom was, he was still on the throne. Jesus still wins, whether Aaron is there or not, you know, and, um, but it was a hard lesson for a 24 year, 24 year old to learn and, wow. um, and, uh, learned the hard way. But, uh, and you know, is we have those tendencies. We can kind of drift there. Yeah. So
1: yeah. Wow. You
0: share, um, that when we experience narcissism personally and relationally, the toxic effects are painful and crazy making. Um, Can you share what it feels like to serve with or serve under or someone that has these narcissistic um, tendencies and why it's so painful and the the idea of crazy making?
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think part of the reason it's crazy making within the context of the church is this is often a person who has some authority, uh, an ordained minister, someone with a master of divinity, uh, someone who has been... Uh, handpicked to lead a Christian organization. In other words, someone who has a kind of spiritual authority. And we, I think, parishioners, um, uh, congregants, people who come to churches, people, they they have this default sense of trust. Like, he's the pastor, she's the pastor, the missionary, the, the spiritual director. I, I'm supposed to trust this person. Um, like Like when we go to the doctor, we just trust the doctor, right? And I think that when you uh, in particular, when I think about folks who've worked in organizations led by narcissistic leaders, when you work with folks like this and you experience bullying, for instance, or in one moment you feel like you're in, but you share a tiny little criticism. Um, like, I think maybe we should highlight this announcement, not this announcement. And you're out and you don't know what happened, you know, um, or you experience a sense of impulsivity or you see decision making that might be... Um, be borderline uh, like lack of in, in integrity or um, and it's, it's at some points um, self-sabotaging. I'm thinking of addictive behavior. People have said, I, you know, I've worked i worked for him and I watched him over drink and overeat and things like that. You know, th- there can be a sort of crisis of conscience. And uh, this is where people will say, you know, I, I feel like it, for a long time it was me. I was making up this story in my head. And I, I thought it couldn't be him because he's, he's been chosen. Uh, the, the Lord has blessed his ministry. There's been fruit. And I think that's where it gets confusing at times for those of us. I've certainly worked in organizations like this where I thought, you know, it, it can't be. This is such a successful church plant, for instance. It can't be him. It's got to be me.
0: And then how, what advice do you have somebody that's in the middle of processing that That when they're processing it, it has to be me. It can't be, it can't be them.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, this is where we've got to recognize that if we're in this space long enough, it can be traumatizing and uh, we can begin to doubt ourselves, our own instincts. I mean, I think there are a number of, I don't need to bring up any stories, but we've all heard the stories of recent pastors uh, who have had to step away from their ministries and, and in any number of those cases, and I've, I've known folks in some of the more recent cases, there has been a sense that, uh, you know, I was in it for seven, eight, nine years, and I wanted to say something, um, but I, I, I wasn't sure how to. And it began with a conversation with my spiritual director, or it began with a conversation with my therapist or my best friend or someone who served as a kind of compassionate witness to say, you know, that's not right. Right. <laughs> That's not good. That's not healthy. I know he's written, you know, forty-seven books, but (laughs) that's not the. That's not a good thing to do. That's not the right scenario to be involved in. And so this is where it begins. Oftentimes, is just sitting with someone who can listen compassionately and and uh, maybe help steer you in a particular direction toward health and wholeness. Good. And then you, you know, I can't. That
0: kind of segues in. You mentioned in the church sometimes we label. Some of the things narcissists with they're charismatic or they're gifted, they're confident, they're smart, they're agile, they're uh, compelling. Uh, and honestly, most of those sound pretty, they don't sound nefarious. They sound like right. really good things in the church. search. Oftentimes, yeah. the things we celebrate. Um, yeah. But it, however, um, the effects of that can be devastating. Yes. And so, how does that happen where something yeah. that seems so good ends up being so detrimental?
1: Yeah. I mean, those those adjectives can can name someone who is both a really gifted missionary or church planter and someone who's toxically narcissistic. Um, and in fact, when I do assessment and testing around this, I've got a, it's called the Milan Clinical Multiaxial Inventory, and it puts each of <laughs> us on that. Yeah, scary, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 400 questions, and, and each of us is placed on a kind of spectrum of narcissism. that Sort of the higher you go, but what I like to say is the, the the more you like lack the capacity for humility, curiosity, self-awareness. In other words, if you were to come to me, Aaron, and say, you know, Chuck, uh, you're a confident guy, but you can be kind of arrogant at, at times and you come in and dominate a room. And if I said, that's just, that's just you, Aaron, you make up stories about everyone you have. As I've heard many times before from people, you have daddy issues, you know, but <laughs> what, sometimes what these guys do, um, that's me deflecting. That's me not willing to say, okay, so what is it that I need to hear in this? Um, and, and so the problem isn't confidence. Um, the, the problem isn't an inspiring or a wooing personality. The problem is humility. And uh, I've known plenty of really gifted church planners and missionaries and pastors who are extraordinarily confident, but also really humble. And they have the capacity to have the conversation, say, so I have something to learn in this. Tell me a little bit about how you experienced me or where you felt like our staff meeting went south versus those who will almost inevitably turn it on you, make it about you, point the finger to you. Say, it couldn't be me at all. So you, you mentioned daddy issues.
0: You said that's common, something that, that we yeah. use. So yep. what wh- where does that where does that originate that idea you have daddy issues and where does that come up? where how do you see that play out
1: You know what's interesting about that and I was just throwing that out off the cuff right I mean but what's interesting about that is that I've watched over the last 15 years or so give or take um narcissistic leaders in the church become a whole lot more psychologically attuned um when I when I first started in seminary counseling program, I was uh, 25. It was 1995. And it was sort of like there was this who who wants to study that, you know, touchy feely stuff, emotions. I mean, literally, there are uh, 95% of the women in the program that I was uh, 95% of the people in the program were women. And so, and then I I watched pastors becoming more interested in psychological categories and gift inventories and, personality tests and things like that and using those kinds of things and so that's an actual story of remember early on this narcissistic leader i worked with inevitably if if there was a male pastor that would push back he'd say oh, he just has daddy issues it's not me it's him it's his own issues um and and there, whatever this the the psychological psychological language is um they can use that in service of putting someone in their place, or domineering, or bullying in some way. Wow! So using using those assessments and those things to their their bullying yeah. advantage. So that's right. Um, and
0: you're you're. I mean, I went I went to Bible school in two, 1998, and um, it's been amazing just to see. With and maybe we can get in just in a little bit about Enneagram and those things, as you hear it more commonly in the church. Um, and then, as you say, they can be used for for. Anyway, to turn it around on other yeah. people. Yeah. Can you share? You we've talked about narcissistic leaders. Um, and in the book you share some four characteristics of a narcissistic leader. Um and can you and then you also yeah, can you share those? And then I have one one specific question about one of those too.
1: Oh, well, do you mean the um chapter where there are 10 characteristics or the uh which which chapter are you talking about? The 10 the characteristics. Parts. Yeah. Oh, the 10, yeah. Well, I have my book here. Good deal. <laughs> I keep it nearby. Um, yeah, I get into these these 10 characteristics as a way of of um, just kind of naming what I've seen uh, over and over and over again in, in pastors. And um, the first number of them really come from a, a book, pretty well-known book for a while in the church called uh, How to Treat a Staph Infection, Resolving Problems in Your Church and Ministry. So I really borrowed wow. six of them. I had my own Uh, All decision-making centers on them. Impatience, lack of ability to listen to others. Number three, delegating without giving proper authority. Number four, feelings of entitlement. Number five, feeling threatened or intimidated by other talented staff. Six, needing to be the best and brightest in the room. And then four more, seven, inconsistency and impulsivity. Eight, praising and withdrawing. Nine, intimidation of others. And 10, one that i coined called vulnerability, F-A-U-X, a kind of faux vulnerability. And and those are we don't see all 10, but we'll see constellations of those show up in different ways in different pastors and leaders.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's the the last number 10 was the one I wanted I had another yeah. question about. So yeah. can you just unpack that? What does that mean? And then how does that play out? And what advantage is it, is, is it for somebody to, to use that vulnerability as, as you yeah.
1: can? Yeah, I see it most often used in a, in a spiritually abusive way. In other words, a, a way of, of talking about oneself with the appearance of humility, a kind of faux humility, uh, an appearance of knowing oneself, um, but with a, a real lack in the end, a real lack of curiosity or humility. In other words, um, I was doing some work within a church context where a pastor said, well, listen, I am the chief of sinners. Everyone knows I'm a sinner. Um, That's not debatable. So let's get on to the next thing. But he wouldn't talk about specific ways in which he was impulsive or inconsistent or um, uh, cut people off or, you know, some of the other attributes that we talked about. And so the, the full vulnerability... It uses Christian words. It, it uses words like sin. I, I'm sure I've hurt people. I'm not a perfect pastor, but but not in service of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls a kind of specific confession. When we talk about specific confession, it's like me saying to you, Aaron, when we were together from um, eight o'clock your time to nine o'clock your time, I said this to you, uh, and I think I hurt you. Can you tell me about how I hurt you? us getting very clear about the ways in which I hurt you.
0: And um yeah that that makes that makes a ton of sense. So it's almost a you're giving the sense is it do they do you use that to draw other people in to get them to be more vulnerable or is there a motive yeah. behind
1: it? I think I think that the motivation differs. I mean I think uh I think what you just said uh is 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 one of the motivations to sort of win people over and dear them to you. Make them think that um, you know you can be vulnerable because I'm vulnerable too, Um, and and you know I I I remember experiencing this very early on in ministry and sharing some secrets with someone who I shouldn't have shared some of my own secrets with, who used those. I mean he was feigning his own vulnerability. I shared very vulnerably, and they said, "Well, now I have this on you, Chuck." And it was a very this was a fellow seminary student who was very powerful bully of a of a student back in the day. And uh, and and I didn't realize this was happening until I sat down with a therapist who said, Chuck, I think you just had an experience with a narcissist. I said, a, a what? what? What does that even <laughs> mean? He's in seminary. There's no way he could be there could be a problem with him.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. One of the other things is I read through your book, you said it's hard for a, a leader that has tendencies as a narcissist to step away. they, they, they always, they're engaged and, and how, why would it be, why does one not want to step away if they, if they have some of these tendencies?
1: Yeah. I mean, they're here again. I think there are a number of reasons for that. I mean, I, I think that they, when they think that they're larger than life, um, they're not accountable in the same ways that you and I might be accountable um, and in fact, they're even bigger than some of the systems of accountability. Uh, not too long ago, I was involved in a in the Presbyterian system in a situation where, where a minister was deposed. And even then, um, blaming, pointing the finger, scapegoating others, um, blaming the process and unwilling to be accountable, saying, listen, I'm an author. I've had all this impact. I've done all these things. And I think that that's that's often the case is I'm, I'm larger than life. I'm not subject to the same forms of accountability that others are subject to. And so it gets back to that sense of grandiosity, that sense of entitlement. Um, oftentimes, these are, I mean, I, I tell you, I have been in offices of uh, narcissistic leaders of very large churches and networks with, um, that are the size of my living room or bigger. And with furniture and the thousands and thousands of dollars and mahogany and real wood and a fireplace and, I mean, the kinds of things that these leaders feel entitled to, I do think that there's a sense of there's there's no way I can step away. I look at the fruit, look at the things I've done, look at the influence I've had. It's got to be the person pointing the finger or that small group of people who've always had a problem with me. I mean, there's always someone to blame
0: (laughs) in these situations, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you, you've mentioned that, you know, sometimes people will point to the fruit and they'll say, well, this, this leader, there's fruit there, but what does the inner life, because normally your fruit is the result of the inner life. And so what does the inner life of uh, uh, someone that
1: has a narcissistic tendencies, what did, what does yeah. that look like their inner life? Yeah. So it's really complicated. And this is where, I mean, I, I definitely know that I've, I've lost some folks here because I, I had an interaction with, with someone uh, a few years ago when I was working on this and I've been blogging a bit and she said, well, you, you actually think there's some goodness in there and I just say they're evil. And I said, no, I think my understanding psychologically, theologically is that we're contradictory at times. Um, Uh, the good things I want to do, I do not do, uh, Paul says, right? And I I think that even though at the core we're image bearers, there are times when um, there is a sort of Jekyll and Hyde kind of dynamic. I talk about shame and rage in the inner life of a narcissistic leader. And I think that what I've discovered in doing work with particularly men like this is that there are inevitably stories of significant pain, trauma, abuse, bullying I can't tell you how many times I've worked with a a man 45 years old who is larger than life and domineering and we'll get to a point where he's sitting on the couch in front of me 6 or 7 years old in tears wow. talking about the you know the 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 guy who would thinking of I'm not going to say specific Examples, but because I don't want someone listening to this to say right. that's my story, but for sure. but someone in my life, whether it's a coach, a teacher, a youth pastor who hurt me in a significant way, and wittingly or unwittingly put on armor at that point, uh, was never, ever, ever again going to let someone hurt them, get close to them. and so they walled away their hearts and um never experienced any kind of real intimacy since. I mean, I've literally had men at 40, 50, 60 years old, say to me, you're the first man that I've ever trusted to talk to in a heart-to-heart kind of way. I've always seen other men as threats, someone who's going to take away my power, someone's going to hurt me in a particular kind of way. And so it's tricky because I do have some folks who will say, Chuck, call evil, evil, And I want to say, yeah, there there is evil. There's a manifestation of evil at times in these folks. But but I also see the complexity of it, um, because when you get down to the core, you see the battle that they're fighting.
0: Yeah. So does that relationship you talked a lot of times It's between they see men A man will see another man as a threat. But in relationship, can they have is it? Calm, can they have a healthy relationship maybe with their wife and their children? or does that the tendencies team and I know i'm it's'm I'm yeah. in generalities, but just yeah. just a question. does that does that make any sense at all?
1: Yeah, yeah. and and that's that can be the case, yeah, where he can let in a spouse to some degree um, and children. and uh, oftentimes in these cases, when I'm doing my work and and we we require him to step away. His his wife will come to his side and say, "Well, I know a very different Chuck or Aaron or whoever. Mm. Right? I, I know the other side of him, and 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 yet uh, we have to reckon with the side that engaged in abuse or misconduct or malpractice in ministry, and there has to be accountability. Just because uh, we we can see you know a deeper side of them, a more human side of them, doesn't mean that they can't be held accountable for. The debris field of destruction that you'll often find in in situations like this wow,
0: that's powerful, yeah, that's powerful gaslighting that was a new term for me um and then and can you just share what gaslighting is and how that relates into this conversation about um narcissism and the tendencies sometimes that leaders have
1: yeah the the word is actually an interesting one it goes back to an old movie um and uh too much to tell that story, but it's 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 uh, it's a way of making someone else feel crazy. Gaslighting is um, uh, me making you feel crazy by making you question your reality. We're not really doing a podcast right now, Aaron. you know uh, <laughs> obviously you're gonna say, oh yes, yes, we are there, there are times when, and I've seen this in action in the church, there are times when someone holds so much sway or influence over another that, you know, I, I knew in one particular situation of, of a powerful pastor had a very gifted young man working for him that wanted to go to seminary. This was a very incredibly bright young man who was actually doing a lot of the writing, ghost writing for the senior pastor. But the senior pastor would say, no, I, I know seminary and you don't have the gifts to go and do seminary education. You really, the Lord wants you to stay here. You're just, you're not bright enough. I don't think you'd get in. Meanwhile, he's got him writing his books. <laughs> so um, that's a form of gaslighting. And when, you know, here's, here's the, the frustrating part of this, you know, I, this young man felt like he had lost a decade of his life. But he said, I, I, literally, uh, I literally felt like a slave at times. Like I couldn't get out of it. Um, we talk about Stockholm syndrome, uh, in terms of kidnapping, oftentimes where the, um, you know, the young victim learns to befriend the kidnapper and stays and actually um, they develop a relationship. And there there's a sense that that's a, a similar dynamic going on in this kind of situation.
0: Wow. Yeah. And the other thing you when I think it was in that when you were talking about gaslighting, you said a lot of times a narcissistic bite does not leave fi- any physical wounds. Yes. And so that's, so can you just share just a little bit about that? What, what, what do the yeah. wounds look like? Cause you, if they're not physical, then is it emotional right. and spiritual or?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So when we talk about a kind of physical abuse, you'll see bruises, but when we talk about emotional and spiritual abuse, there are no bruises, but there are really deep wounds. And we, we know now from, experts in abuse and trauma that these emotional and spiritual wounds can run just as deep and be just as traumatic as physical abuse, physical wounds. And yet, because you don't have the scars or the bruises, you question reality. And that's that gaslighting thing. It it really can't be that bad. Uh, These wounds actually often accumulate over time as well. And so I'll talk to people who I may mention. I may name something that happened to them that past week. And they'll say to me, oh, well, that's been happening for 17 years since I started working for him. And so they'll begin to trace back li- little things that I just took it from him over and over and over again. And we see this in ministry. We see this in Christian marriages. And we can use with spiritual abuse. It's like we we layer a, a Well, we put another layer on top of emotional abuse. Like, we, we use scripture now. We use God's word to say, well, you know, God, God says that you need to live like this or submit in this particular way. And so I don't want to hear you speaking up anymore. Mm-hmm. And you'll have folks, staff members, spouses who won't speak up. They'll just shut down, um, only to realize years later that that was a misuse of scripture. No, oh, that's...
0: It just, it was just something as I read it, it was obviously highlighted and something that I came back to, because as you said, it's, it's easier to see bruises and physical wounds. Um, And those, I think you can, as you shared, there are things that you can't, it's hard to deny. And you see a bruise, you know, it's there and it's there. And you normally there's a cause, but when there's the spiritual and emotional ones, sometimes we downplay those. And as you said, it creates that sense of doubting and um, yeah, that's the. That's, that's a hard place to be, a hard place mm-hmm. to be, especially when the enemy, as we shared, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We can right. begin to tell ourselves lies and it's, go you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of ways.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Chuck, you know, um, hope. So we've, we've, we've talked about these tendencies. So first, can you share some hope for maybe somebody's listening to this podcast and they've recognized, as you shared about some of these narcissistic tendencies, yeah. they've recognized, hey, I have some of these tendencies. Is there hope for someone that maybe has these tendencies? Can they change or is it kind of locked in?
1: Yeah, well, when you, when you say, you know, evil comes to kill, uh, destroy, steal, what's coming to kill, destroy and steal is dignity. Um, God's image bearer, you know, um, mm. I think uh, to kill faith, hope and love in us. Yeah. And yeah, um, and so. We we have to take the damage of this kind of abuse with a kind of deadly seriousness, right? And I think that part of this story of hope is not just a story of hope for the, the narcissistic leader, but hope for the church, hope for those who are taking these kinds of stories seriously. I think scripture gives us words for times when we've been hurt, oppressed, victimized. I mean, the people of God were slaves in Israel and cried out. Yeah. Uh, grown before God uh, under their slavery, under that yoke, right? And God uh, rescued them. And of, of course, it's a, it's a long wilderness journey to healing, and God leads us along that way as well. But I think, you know, I, I think also I, I, I write in there that there is hope for those who are narcissistic. And I, I spell that, I tease that out in this way. What we found is that with narcissistic personality disorder, um, all the way up the spectrum now in terms of the testing, it's it's much harder to change. And the change process is not weeks or months, it's years, and wow. it maybe decades as well. And so okay. um, when we think about change, as American Christians, those of us who are listening over here, see you've got a much more beautifully nuanced view where you are and where <laughs> you live, right. Uh, you don't have to deal with our consumerism and our microwavable Christianity. Maybe you do, but I mean, you know, you know, American Christians, we love everything microwaves. So I can change just like that, you know? Um, and God is a magic genie who just waves the wand and makes it all, uh, uh, new. And the, the reality is, is that, uh, with narcissistic personality disorder, it's characterological, which means that it's a character developed over time. And, 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 um, changing one's character uh, takes a long time. And so I, I I worked with a pastor 12 years ago who stepped away from ministry is only now beginning to dip his toe back into ministry after significant work, therapy, counseling. And in fact, he's, he's become so humble that he said, I think that maybe I ought to begin cleaning bathrooms in the church. And I love that because this was a larger than life narcissistic thing. Well, with narcissistic personality disorder, change is a lot harder. But as you go down the spectrum, there there are folks with narcissistic traits or tendencies. And there are a lot of folks in ministry. I mean, I, with all my psychological testing, the large majority of pastors test in what we call cluster B personality disorders. That's narcissism and all of its close cousins. (laughs) And um, they, and it's, it's, you know, it's mildly amusing at times when I do this testing and my wife does it with me and she's got a master's in counseling. And she says, you know, it's just amazing how consistent it is. It's, it's so rare that we get someone who's outside of cluster B, but that is not a sign of toxicity, abuse unhealth health necessarily. I mean, I just did, I just did a, a few Canadian church planters um, who, Tested on uh, the, a cluster B spectrum, one of the close cousins of narcissism, and they said, is that a problem? Is it? But when I did my interview, I noticed humility, curiosity, good relationships, a healthy relationship with a spouse, um, uh, a real reluctance to get into church planting. I, I mean, all the things that said to me, you know, you're, you're right on track and as long as you've got good relationships people that you trust, a good therapist to talk to when you need them, um, you'll be okay. And so uh, there, there is a kind of, and this is going to be a strange thing to say out loud, people always wonder about it, but there is a kind of form of healthy narcissism. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that that language really comes from the world of psychology, and it's really a, a better way of saying it is a healthy sense of self-confidence, um, not, a, not an arrogance but I mean, I think I think a sense of I mean I I don't know what it takes for someone like you to pack your bags and go overseas. <laughs> that takes a maybe a healthy chutzpah to use it um, or from a different tradition, right? And right. So, um, yeah, yeah. That's good.
0: That's good. And then hope for you know people listening in as I share what we led into this. A lot of times when we when we move overseas, you have time and um, you realize there are some emotional wounds, some spiritual yeah. wounds. Yeah. And, and is there hope for healing? Maybe as somebody has listened in, as you've talked about that, some of it is resonated with them that, yeah, maybe I, I, I sat under a spiritual leader that was making me think that I, I was crazy. And there was some doubting and they're beginning to process that. Is there hope for someone that is listening in like that? Chuck?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I I I think there's a lot wrapped up with um moving overseas as a missionary. One of my closest friends wrote a book about his experience called From the Inside Out. His name is Ryan Kuja. Yeah. He he experienced some pain and yeah. um and not not just a little bit of his own narcissism, too, he'd say in there, you know. And there's a, a lot wrapped up with following the the call of Jesus. We moved from Orlando to San Francisco, San Francisco, a very secular city. Um and a really hard place to live with very young kids. Um, And that revealed a lot in us that was there, but kind of dormant. Um, We were terrified for for a while because we were so out of sorts. We went from a suburban neighborhood with everyone that looked like us to an Asian neighborhood. We didn't speak the language, you know? Um, And so those kinds of disruptive experiences are... Uh, can be really powerful for us if we're willing to name what's going on, and I think that sometimes cr- Christians, for, for some reason or another, we think that we we need to marshal some sort of internal resource that to just get over it. You know, yeah. um, it's antithetical to the gospel, right? Because Jesus says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who come to the end of themselves." You know, but but we think that we just have to get over it and be stronger because I'm a missionary, I'm a pastor, I'm an evangelist, I'm a church planner. And I think that the gospel begins in our neediness, in our poverty of spirit, Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the hungry and thirsty. For me to say, you know what? I'm really, really scared right now. I don't, I I can't talk to my neighbors. They speak a different language than me. I'm, I'm scared for my kids. Um, I'm not sure what school to put them in, or I don't see any other Christians around or whatever the case may be. And that can be oftentimes tied to some early childhood stuff, some wounds that we bear. I mean, those of us who be, get into helping professions there are often stories of being on your daddy's little helper, yeah. you know, or carrying some pain. I mean, I, my, my mom and I have, have duped it out over the years and lots of therapy. But, you know, I had, I had to carry some of the emotional wounds of her life and marriage. And, and I said, Mom, you kind of made me, you know, made me your your little, you know, little uh, therapist that, you know, when I was uh, in sixth, seventh grade. No wonder I'm doing therapy today. You know, <laughs> um, so. We have to work these things out. And, and you know, I, I turned 50 this year, and I feel like I'm still just beginning to peel away some things that I thought I would have had figured out at 40, let alone 50, right? And I'll still be, I'll probably say it when I'm 60, still pulling away layers and places of pain, places where I miss my wife and, we, you know, uh, where I hurt her. How did I do that? I thought I got a counseling degree. I write on this stuff, and I still hurt her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: it's good, good. Well, Chuck, I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together, and um, I'm going to put the um, uh, links for your book in the show notes. But we normally end the podcast in the time of prayer, and so yeah. I would just like if you would, if you would consider praying for the audience um, yeah. that we will use um, the challenge of, of what you've challenged with us today, and um, and just pray for healing for us um, that those maybe that are carrying emotional and spiritual wounds.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, uh, those listening, including me, come from a variety of different spaces and places, uh, different backgrounds, different stories, uh, experiences, even wounds, uh, some wounds from the church, some not, but we bring ourselves to our ministries um, in all of our complexity in our woundedness, in our sinfulness, in our beauty, in our brokenness. Um, And so I pray for healing for us, uh, for all uh, listening um, in places where we've experienced these things and perhaps in places where you've sort of pricked our consciences and saying, I wonder if I've been that person to someone else, Um, even for the humility and curiosity that leads to a conversation that begins with maybe I'm the problem. Um, maybe I've hurt another. Um, for, for those who are listening, who are, are just beginning that journey, and for those who are well on that journey, uh, Lord, be, uh, be uh, the God who heals and brings peace in the deepest places um, of brokenness in our hearts. Uh, for those today, tonight, on this day who are lonely or overwhelmed, confused, terrified, um defensive even resistant listening to this uh would would you would you meet us right uh, in the place where we need you most um augustine says god, you are more near to us than we are to ourselves, and if that's true um you you've been listening in all the while, and nothing is a secret to you, and so um In those secret places, uh, would you bring about redemption and healing, not just for ourselves, but for our relationships, uh, for our spouses, our children, for our communities of faith, uh, for the places that we serve, for the kingdom of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.